Welcome, everyone, to the First Presbyterian Church podcast. We are First Presbyterian in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and we are glad that you are here listening with us, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, We hope that your day will be blessed, and may the peace of Christ be with you. So I have a question for you all. Do you ever find yourself waking up early on a Sunday morning and trying to rub the tiredness out of your eyes only to roll back over and hit the snooze button on your alarm? Yeah, me too. So you sleep the whole morning through and you skip church and pretty much just have a quiet day at home. I've definitely done that a fair bit myself, believe it or not. And for me, I always really felt guilty when I skipped church, even before I knew I wanted to go to seminary. I felt guilty because I felt like it was the right thing to go to church. It's the right thing to do. It's what you're supposed to do on Sunday, right? I felt ashamed whenever I didn't go to church because that's what I was always told was the right way to be a Christian. And don't get me wrong, y'all. I'm super glad you're all here today, and I'm really happy to see you all. But isn't it interesting how sometimes we put labels of right and wrong on the ways we worship God and the ways we have spirituality? If you know about the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, you might know that at that time a lot of change was happening in churches. So one thing that they did in some churches was they got rid of all the art, calling it idolatrous. Some things became okay to do, while other things were labeled as not okay. And what about today? Are there things in our worship spaces that are seemed appropriate or inappropriate? What about worship music? Are there certain kinds of music that are considered to be maybe bad for worship, while others are seen as maybe better? I wonder why that is why we put labels on things like that. These examples all point to this question of what is the right way to love God and what's the wrong way? Well, believe it or not, people were asking that question way longer ago than you or I. In the psalm we read today, for one, it talks about the different ways of praising God. Bless, O God, Bless our God, O peoples, it says. Let the sound of God's praise be heard. The psalm that we heard is asking us to join in celebration and glorify the God that has been there for us through everything we've gone through. And the psalm also says, Blessed be God, because God has not rejected my prayer or removed God's steadfast love from me wait a second, my prayer, God has not taken God's love away from me. This is a little bit different than the beginning of the psalm, 
It goes from saying that we, the community of believers, should come together to glorify God, to saying me, one person who has hoped and prayed to God, I am beloved on my own too. There's this tension between two kinds of spirituality. Is the psalm telling us we need to be religious together or alone? Am I supposed to be celebrating or praying? Well, perhaps the answer is yes. When we look at Acts 17, Paul is confronting the same issue. Paul is talking to this big crowd of Greek people, and he's talking to them about all these statues they've constructed of different gods. There are statues that resemble gods like Aphrodite and Apollo that we might know as, you know, the mythological Greek gods. And Paul's talking to them about these statues. But there's another statue. It's really just an altar with an inscription that says, to the unknown God. And as Paul speaks, he explains that this unknown God is really the God who created all things, heaven and earth, and the God who gave us Jesus Christ. In a way, Paul is basically calling the Greeks out here and telling them to get rid of their other gods. Because for Paul, he felt like he knew who God was, whereas the Greeks who built all those statues may have felt like, oh, maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe there's a God out there that we don't know about. Today, too, there are efforts that are being made to leave room for the unknown by some, while others advocate maybe for a more exclusive, Jesus-centered knowing. Paul may have been pushing this knowing narrative, telling his audience only Jesus was the answer to all their questions. But just because it was Paul's answer, does that mean it would have been everybody's? Paul was a pretty well-known evangelist in his own time, but he was not the most popular guy. He was kicked out of cities like Thessalonica because of the way he boldly proclaimed the gospel message with huge crowds. But even if he knew that not everyone would get what he was saying, he wanted to get their attention. His whole purpose was to make Jesus famous, basically. Because unlike today, not everybody in the ancient times knew about that guy, Jesus. So Paul was willing to do whatever it took, anything he could, to make Jesus famous, to shout him out. I think he was sort of like the first hype man, or like the biggest hype man of the first century. And don't get me wrong, y'all. Paul was a great speaker. He knew how to argue and preach and tell a story, and he knew how to write a really good letter, too. A lot of people loved the things he said. A lot of them became Christians because of what he said, too. And I really like what some of what Paul said, too. But the way Paul did things, the way he was a witness to the gospel, was just one way that Christians shared their faith. There's this idea in the study of the world cultures that says 
A person's beliefs and practices should be understood based on that person's own background. That idea actually has been used by Christians for over 2,000 years. Christianity has been adapted and reframed using outside traditions, outside cultures, throughout its whole history. Just to give one example, me being my nerdy self, is back in the 1700s, during colonial times, French Jesuit missionaries who were trying to share their Catholic religion with Native Americans, they didn't just go and recite the Bible to Native American people in French, right? That would be kind of counterintuitive. Instead, the Jesuits learned the native languages of the groups that they lived with. And indeed, they actually lived in the communities with the people who they wanted to share the gospel with. And the fact that they were willing to take on these different aspects of the native cultures, it goes to show that they wanted to share Jesus with others in an honest way that was relevant for the people that they met. Maybe a more modern example, I know it's a personal example, is this. I have a friend who is really just the coolest person ever. And I would say he's pretty devout. He loves to read his Bible. He goes on spiritual retreats all the time. And he's working on becoming an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church. But what's so unique about my friend is that while I say he's devout, he might not look like the image in your mind of what a pious Christian is supposed to be. He's got tattoos out the wazoo. He wears black skinny jeans, and he owns a jewelry company with his wife. And for a long time, his church was going out with his buddies to a local bar and having really good conversations about God. Good conversations in community is what filled his soul with God's grace and love. It was kind of like his church. My friend also, for a time, went to a, a church, a real, you know, live building church, where they sang metal gospel songs. You heard that right. Worship songs with screamo lyrics. And it was like a whole church where a lot of people came and mingled and met each other and loved God. And what was different about what we might call normal church from his church is that his church reflected his background, his experiences. Even when we look at our own denomination, the PCUSA, we can see that there is not just one way to worship as a Presbyterian church. In fact, the church's official constitution says, and I quote, Christians may worship in any place, for the God who created time also created space. Wherever Christ is present among them in the interpretation of the word and the breaking of bread, that space is hallowed. Hmm. All that comes from our denomination's commitment to being a reformed church 
that is still reforming, even today. So it's important that we, as Presbyterians, be open to the newness that we can find when we follow different paths to God. To know that even if we believe that everyone should believe in Jesus Christ alone, though some of us might feel in our heart that, yes, I know that God is the way and the truth. Not everyone has to worship in the same way, or eat the same bread, or pray the same way, or sing the same songs, or even go to church in the same kinds of buildings we think are church. And despite the fact that, in this passage, Paul seems to say that there's only one way to know God, he acknowledges that people are different at the very same time. And he does this using an example of Greek poetry when he's speaking. The poem goes a little like this. In him we live and move and have our being, for we too are his offspring. Now, the interesting thing about this poem is that scholars say that the poet that Paul quotes here is actually talking about the Greek god Zeus. And Paul was an educated man, very well versed in poetry and philosophy. So what does it say then that Paul is quoting a poem about Zeus in front of all these Greek people and he's doing it in order to share the gospel with them? Maybe it was Paul's way of sharing his faith in a fashion that best suited the group of people he was talking to. He was sort of speaking their language in a way. So even if the main idea is that Paul is preaching one way to truly be religious, a.k.a. through Jesus, he makes it very plain that every person who experiences the divine in their own space, they do it in their own time and according to their own experiences and background. So, something that I ask you to think about after hearing all these different examples of Christians doing Christianity in different ways is this. What does being religious mean for you according to your own space and time and with your own gifts and talents and with your own background and experiences, what does being religious really mean for you? Is it sleeping in on Sundays every now and then, but experiencing God's grace when you wake up feeling really well-rested? Is it learning a new language because you want to be able to communicate Jesus' love with other people? Is it using poetry or art to show somebody who you love that life is beautiful and God's creation is amazing? Is it going to the bar with your buddies on Friday night and getting to know each other really well and seeing Jesus in each other? As you ponder these things, consider the possibility that there might not be just one right answer. No matter how we connect with our creator, Maybe we should have the same outlook that Paul had when he said, Indeed, God is not far from any of us. Maybe the answer to the question of, Should I serve God this way or that way, is just 
Yes. Amen.